program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Heads up, this is the second of three consecutive episodes devoted to the topic of employee engagement. I know it's important to you, wherever you are in the world, whatever kind of company you own or you manage or you're in, and each episode will address a different approach. So let's get started. The buzz today, the buzz on the street all over the world is the power to inspire. Okay, What's happening? What are people saying? Executives and employees alike agree that leadership today is lacking. That's not a good thing. So who says so? Well, we have information from a Workforce 2020 study initiated by Success Factors, an SAP company, with Oxford Economics. Why is this happening? Well, comes down to the basics. Companies are not focused enough on developing future leaders. It just all comes down to that development track. What does this mean to you out there? Think about the leadership characteristics in your organization that inspire you to come to work every single day. And more than that, not just show up and keep a chair warm or a corner warm, but do your best in your job every single day. Takes a lot of motivation, doesn't it? What's the bottom line? Well, when it comes to leadership, how do you know who is worth following? And maybe a bigger question is, are you worth following? We have a panel of experts prepared to help us dive deep into this topic and come up with some practical and pragmatic answers to figure out what you can do if employee engagement isn't working out so great for your company. The experts speak. First up, I'd like to welcome back a guest from last week, part one of this three-week micro-mini-series, we're calling it. It's Tom Kalopoulos. He's the founder and chairman of the Delphi Group. And Tom has sent me a wonderful quote from Peter Drucker, those of you who can't remember who he is. He invented the concept known as management by objectives and self-control, and Peter Drucker has been described as the founder of modern management. That's a big title. Here's the quote. A boss is someone you must follow. A leader is someone you choose to follow. Tom, welcome back. It's been a whole week. How have you been? Bonnie, I've been great. Uh, thank you for having me back. Delighted, delighted. A shout out to Sherry Ann Meyer who helped organize this panel and, and this little micro mini series here on leadership. Tom, interesting quote from Peter Drucker. Tell me, well, I, I love the quote. I've heard it before. Tell me your interpretation and how it relates to our topic. Yeah, Drucker was a fascinating person. I had the, the great uh, pleasure and, and honor of, of being mentored by him for a period of about a decade. And we were having a conversation, Bonnie, one day. That quote actually came out of that conversation. I, I asked him. I was struggling with my own leadership issues at the time. I said, I said, Peter, I've got these issues, these problems. I'm trying to live up to my own 
benchmark of what leadership should be. What do I do? And he looked at me, and with his great compassion, he said, he said, he said Tom, with his thick Austrian accent that Drucker had, he said, Tom, you're thinking too hard. He said, leadership is not that complex. I said, well, who are the great leaders? Because Drucker had seen them all, the U.S. presidents, you know, the heads of Fortune 500 companies. I mean, he had, he had uh, experienced it firsthand in a way none of us ever will. He said, Tom, the, the only real thing that you have to realize about leadership is that people make a choice to follow you. You don't make a choice. They make the choice. And as long as you understand that they're making the choice and that you acknowledge that and respect that, you will be a better leader. And that's when he told me, you know, a boss is someone that they have to take orders from. Mm -hmm. uh, a leader is someone they choose to take orders from because they respect that person. They know that person respects them. And that's so central to leadership, Bonnie. I think at the end of the day, it really is that simple, no matter how much we try to complicate it. Tom, does this mess with the, the corporate pecking order, if you will? We used to call it the ladder, the organizational structure. Here is your boss. Here is your team. Okay, we'll let you have a mentor somewhere during the year. And you're coming in and you're saying, well, gee, Mr. or Ms. Boss, I, I'm very happy to report to you and be on your team. But, gee, there's this guy over here in the other group, and he's really dynamic and trustworthy and interesting and committed and engaged and I want to model my workplace behavior after him. What does that do with the order of things, Tom? Yeah, so here's the, here's the, here's the big deal. You know, everything is messing with the hierarchy and that mm -hmm. traditional notion of command and control today. Everything from social media to the, the, what we're talking about today, the very concepts and precepts of, of leadership. You know, another thing Drucker told me is he said, because he worked with nonprofits a lot. Uh, he was very big at the end of his career in working with nonprofits. He said, you know, Tom, at the end of the day, if you work for a nonprofit, you can leave on Friday and not come back on Monday. That's the kind of, of person that you should be managing in your organization, manage people so that they want to come back on, on mm -hmm. Monday. So what you're saying is absolutely true. People naturally gravitate towards true leaders. And if you don't have the authenticity, if you don't deserve that, that title, it's one that you earn. It's not one that's bestowed upon you. Uh, this is not royalty we're talking about. People will gravitate mm -hmm. towards those leaders, and they will uh, over time. Uh, become the natural leaders in our organization. Not born that way. I, I really believe leaders aren't just born, but they are conscious of the role model that they project, and as a result, people gravitate towards them. I loved your comment. It's not royalty. <laughs> No, I, I think, I think that's sometimes. a Tom. I think that's a quotable moment. I really do. <laughs> we we got to capture that. Thank you very much. Let me bring on our second panelist. Joining us today is Jenny Moreau, a leadership consultant, an actress, an executive coach. She works with ASUG. And Jenny sent me five little words that pack a real punch. And she uses this in her teaching, coaching, and consulting. The words are: Don't try harder. Try different. Jenny Moreau, welcome. How are you today? I am terrific, Bonnie. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this group, part of this conversation. Um, I love so many of the things Tom just said, and, and conscious is the word that jumped out to me. That and Peter Drucker saying, you're thinking too hard, which kind of goes along with don't try harder, try different. Um, you asked me, where did this quote come from? And I said, gee, I, I just find myself using it as code, particularly when I'm teaching actors. And that model works whether I'm coaching executives or speakers or people in the workforce as well. I find that if I see someone trying the same thing over and over and over and over, why, why am I not getting what I want? Or why are people not following me? And if I cut to the chase and say, do something different, it changes. Mm -hmm. If you look back and realize I'm not getting the results I want, maybe 
because you keep trying the same thing over and over and over and over. So what happens if we become conscious, take a step back, look at what's working, look at what's not, and open it up, try something different. Jenny, I think this goes to a very interesting quote, a very famous one from Albert Einstein on the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yes, yes, yes. Yep, good one. But I want it. I want it. No, not Let let I want to get your take before we bring on our third panelist, Jenny. I want to get your take on on this amazing comment that Tom said: uh, leadership is not royalty. You're not born into it; you earn it. That's my paraphrase, Tom. Please uh, allow me a little poetic license here. Jenny, you agree with that? Do you think some leaders think that they are royalty, and people have to have to virtually bow down to them? Well, I'm your boss. Do as I say. Do as I do. Follow the leader. What do you observe? Absolutely. I think I heard someone talking about this recently. Liz Weissman, actually a wonderful author and leader in her own right, say something about, you know, the difference in leadership between those who need to be big and expect others to play small as opposed to those who are big enough to let uh, to play small themselves and allow others to be big. I went, wow, that's great. Great image. Thank you very much. Good. Nice to meet you, Jenny. Thanks, and welcome to the panel, and we're delighted to have you on board. I know you have a lot of interesting insights from your perspective uh, that you're going to share with us in the roundtable. Let me bring on our third panelist. She's no stranger to SAP Game Changers Radio, but it's been a long time since we've spoken. She's Carrie Williard. She's now a workplace futurist in the HR line of business for the SAP Cloud. And Carrie has sent me a very interesting quote from Jack Zenger, those of you not familiar with him. Uh, Jack, his uh, full name is John H., abbreviation Jack Zenger, co-founder and CEO of Zenger Folkman, a professional services firm. He's considered a world expert in the field of leadership development. That's really why he's here. And apparently he, uh, let's see, he wrote in a Harvard blog about his review of 17,000 managers. Here's the quote. The average age when people got training for being leaders was age 42, but most had been survivors since they were 30 years old. We wait too long to train our leaders, leaving them to learn on the fly. Very appropriate. Carrie Williard, welcome back. How have you been? Oh, fine. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that, that, they, that people were supervisors by the time they were 30 years old, but, <gasps> um, you know, it, nearly a dozen years before they before they got formal training, which, um, you know, when you think about it, really they've, dis- they've learned how to become leaders or not in that 12 years. Um, and, and, and if we're waiting to a dozen years after they've started leading to start training them then, um, they've definitely got some habits they've formed, whether good or bad. What about the idea, as we were speaking with Tom and with Jenny, that uh, – these people starting young in this leadership role that they weren't really trained for, Carrie. Do you think they feel they have entered into that realm of royalty, of privilege? I am a leader. I have been supervising since age 30. I'm 42 now. I know everything. Follow me. Do you think they feel there's some kind of a a privilege that comes with just plain experience and years on the job, Carrie? Well, I suppose we all have a sense of if we've been doing our jobs, um, that we've we've earned some expertise in it, but you know, I'm, I'm gonna I've I've been kind of fascinated um, because because I just turned in a book and so I've been really looking at this from the employee angle, 
And, and Gallup likes to say that engagement is all up to the leaders. If you've got a bad leader, you're not going to be engaged. If you've got a good leader, then you're going to be engaged. And I'm starting to think, you know, 15 years later, we still don't have an improvement in employee engagement. It's still about 70% of people are not engaged at work the whole time. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to wonder if it really isn't a two-way street. And, you know, why do we have to put it all on leaders? You would never do that in a marriage. Would you ever say to your, to your partner, it's up to you to keep me engaged. You be the leader in this, you know, relationship. I think it's about, I think it's a two-way street. And I, I, don't, I don't want to put everything on the leader. I think employee engagement is also up to employees. It's within their power to be engaged, whether they have a good leader or not. So I, that's a controversial statement I'll put out there in the midst of a, a leadership discussion. I appreciate that. Before I get to what's in your cup today on our Coffee Break segment, Tom, would you like to comment on this controversy Carrie laid out for us? Yeah, you know, actually, I, I, I love that because uh, I'll go back to Drucker again. I think I'm going to be going back to him quite a bit today because he, he really taught me so much about this notion of, of leadership and how to put it into some frameworks and perspectives. One thing that Drucker was very keen on was, was the fact that as knowledge workers, we have responsibility uh, for our own sense of well-being and purpose in the organization. I think it's one thing, obviously, if you're being berated or, or abused by someone in a leadership position, but, but that being absent, I, I absolutely agree that as knowledge workers, we have to take on some of that responsibility. I've been in far too many situations where I hear people gripe about the limitations that leadership puts on them, but in those same situations, you find people that move forward, they do things, they make progress despite those limitations, uh, and they'll take the risk. So I think it does come down to an individual decision to participate and to, um, to take some responsibility uh, for, for your own um, context and contribution within that organization. Now, now, now that, said, that said, that doesn't take the, 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 uh, the pressure off of leadership. I think it, mm-hmm. it's, it is a shared responsibility. So I like the way Kerry put it, and I think it's very important for us as knowledge workers to, to realize that we are empowered, especially in today's world, where you can go around the hierarchy where you can do things outside of the command and control structure. That is your choice. It is a choice that you are making. And again, going back to what Jenny was saying earlier, it is a conscious choice. And we have mm-hmm. accountability for those conscious choices, I think. I agree. Jenny, I'd love to hear your comments on this before we move ahead. Go ahead, please. I absolutely agree. It's all about relationship, right? And I, I love the image of the engagement. You wouldn't just blame the other person. I think Absolutely, if we find ourselves, same thing, if we as employees find ourselves complaining about the same thing over and over and over, are we part of the solution? Are we taking responsibility? And particularly as we have, you know, certainly the aging and, 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 and age differentials within the workforce, the whole model of how we look at the world is really changing. And we have remote employees and we have more contract employees. All of these things, I think, empower employees to take more and more responsibility, accountability, and, and get involved. What yeah, kind all of leader do you want? What kind of follower do you want to be? What are you following? That- that's right. What are you following and what kind of leader can you be? I, I think ultimately people who are in the workforce a long time, uh, they get looked up to. I, that's very poor English. I apologize. But people will look up to them who come into a workplace. Hey, Bob, you've been here 10 years. Tell me what it's really all about. Maybe that's just a temporary little 
little vignette of leadership, but certainly there are opportunities there that Bob may not have realized he was going to be put in that position. So let's, you know what, we've been working very, very hard here. It's past quarter after. I don't care what the clock says. We're having a good time. Great conversation. I'm going to circle back to Tom Kalopoulos. And Tom, you know the question of the day, always. What's it you do, he says with a sigh of resignation. <laughs> What's in your cup today? Are you drinking anything different from last week? Or what are you, what are you dreaming about drinking after the show, Tom? Oh, well, the second question might be, the latter might be actually a better question to answer because I'm taking the pretty boring mainstream route. I got in late last night from a, uh, a rather horrible flight, so it's coffee all the way this morning. So right now it's uh, Starbucks vanilla flavored with, uh, with soy milk, That's, and it's number three. I think I'm on number three at this, at this point. What am I thinking and dreaming of drinking after yes. this is done? I, yes. would love, I would love a nice cold margarita with salt on the rim and a hammock by the water. I don't think that's going to happen, but we can dream. <laughs> well, if you follow the right leader, it might, they might lead you to it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to, we'll, we'll be thinking about you. Tom, funny story. Uh, on yesterday's show, we had a guest who told me she's been drinking coffee since the age of four when she would, her parents taught her how to clear the table and she would drink all the leftover coffee. By the time she got into her thirties, she was drinking, wait for it, kids, 40 cups a day. And along the way, she went into a a new job, and her boss said to her after a couple months, would you please, we're going to challenge you, can you give up drinking all caffeine, all coffee for two weeks, and let's see what it does to your personality and your style. So she stopped, and less than two weeks later, the boss and the the, uh, employees, the the teammates came back to her and said, please go back on coffee. And she said, why? And they said, because you spoke so fast, you worked so fast, your pace was so speed it up we thought it was the caffeine you are even faster without it would you please go back on coffee and slow down to what you used to do? I, I kid you not that was one of the strangest coffee stories we've ever had and i won't ask anybody to top that one jenny moreau you've had plenty of time to think about this what are you mm. drinking or what are you what are you are you going to go on the beach with the with the uh, margarita and the salt with tom or are you going to be somewhere else well, I would make it sangria, but sure, I'll go to the beach. That'd be great. Um, white sangria with fruit floating in it and peaches and strawberries and things. I have nothing in front of me right now because I, I do my two cups of coffee a day, and I was up at 5 a.m. But when I had my coffee, it was rich, velvety, chocolatey, local, locally sourced organic French roast with a little bit of whipped cream and a wee bit of sugar, and it was divine. I, I'm speechless. I'm, I've stopped at the whipped cream part and the chocolatey and the little bit of sugar. Who needs more in life? Tom, I think we just had an interpretation of the margarita with the salt in the hammock through through Jenny's coffee. That sounded beautiful. I'm already on the beach with the coffee. Carrie Williard, I hate to do this to you, but wow. <laughs> what are you drinking? Give give me a, a drink fantasy, whatever you want. Carrie, we're ready for you. Oh, well, no, I'm afraid it's not a fantasy. It's, it's real, and that is, you know, I've just been into juice. Lately, so I picked up some Whole Foods. Uh, this is not going to sound good, but it is beet juice, and I mixed it with sparkling water. And so I've got a bright red, brilliant, looks healthy, you know, full of vitamins to to make sure I match your energy level, Bonnie. 
Oh, I'm so flattered. And as Carrie knows, and Tom probably knows by now, but Jenny doesn't, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. I've got a very pretty glass here with pure water, but I do have a pink straw. And that's all the cheering up. That's all the hammock visions I need, Tom, is the pink straw. So I'm doing just fine. Uh, Let's get back to our topic here. We are talking about employee engagement. This is part two of a three-part micro-mini-series. The topic today is following the leader who? And that's the key question is who should you be following? And maybe it should be whom should you be following? We're going to stick with who. I'm speaking today with three very interesting thought leaders and they weren't born into it. They worked their way into leadership because they're smart and savvy and insightful and they're sharing their wonderful expertise with us today. We're speaking with Tom Kalopoulos, Jenny Moreau, Carrie Williard. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. We're going to go away for about 90 seconds, and you don't want to miss the roundtable that's going to happen when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that, oh, you know the drill. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. Ooh, somebody's got a little cough. Take a sip of that, uh, I don't know, is it a margarita or a wonderful cup of coffee with whipped cream? That'll cure what ails you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham speaking today here with Coffee Break with Game Changers, by the way, if you're keeping track. This is episode number 187, according to my calculator, and we are coming to you live on Wednesday, June 24, 2015. We just passed the summer solstice and Father's Day, so we're hurtling into summer here in the U.S., North America. Okay, our topic today is leadership, follow the leader, employee engagement. We mix it all up in the mixer and we come up with what is a leader, who is a leader, etc., etc. I'm going to start the roundtable now with Tom at Delphi Group. And Tom, we talked about this off air. You, you sent me some very interesting notes. Let's talk about children. I know we're talking about workplace, adults, grown-ups. Millennials would be the youngest entrance into the workforce, but 
We're talking about leadership. So let's start from the very beginning. You say we often hear that people are born with certain skills. Oh, my daughter is a born leader. My son is a born leader. And then you expect these kids to gravitate into roles in elementary school, then junior high, and then they advance to class president and maybe quarterback or captain of the team in college. And you think they're on a leadership trap track. Is this, maybe it is the trap. Uh, Tom, is this a predictable path when people People say my kids are born leaders, or is this not necessarily going to take them into the role we need them to be in the workforce? So here's the thing about that question, Bonnie. It's a wonderful question because it helps us to understand how the world is changing. I think if you look back, from this moment looking back in time, saying someone was a born leader or that they were born into leadership or that they were naturally inclined to be a leader made a lot of sense because the reality Mm -hmm. was that people in those positions where they could exert influence from a very young age were for whatever reason, whether it was economically or socially, somehow advantaged, and they were very outgoing. They were outgoing in a very social way, and all those things allowed them to step into the position of, of leadership. But here's what's changed. What I see happening today, and this is what I'm fascinated by, is that these kids are all taking a shot at leadership. They, they're rotating in and out of leadership. So we're seeing, rather than hierarchies, we're seeing adhocracies, we're seeing holacracies, we're seeing these new organizational structures where leadership is very effuse. It's not clear who the leader is at any one point in time. The organization is very mm. self-organizing. That's fascinating because what happens now is that not only do we give everyone a shot at leadership, but those who truly are best suited to leadership in that moment, for that situation, for that particular crisis or problem or challenge or opportunity, are the ones who can take the turn at leading. And when I look at the way kids game, Bonnie, Mm -hmm. this is how they game. There is no one leader. The leadership goes back and forth. It depends on who's best equipped to deal with that situation. So look at the way kids game today. You'll look at the way they will lead tomorrow. And as you said, millennials are in the workforce today. Gen Z just started entering the workforce. They were born Mm -hmm. in 95 and beyond. They've just started entering their rules of engagement when it comes to leadership will be very, very different. And they expect a turn up at the plate. They want to take a shot at it. Uh, and why not? Why? I think that makes perfect sense. And as long as we understand that there are certain basic qualifications one must have to take on that mantle of leadership, if you can meet those qualifications, whatever the situation might, might demand, why not give that person a shot at it? Very different type of organization, though. And, and you couldn't have done this mm-hmm. in the past. You didn't have the technologies, the platforms to do this. Now you do. Everyone can step into that role. Very cool way to look at leadership, I think. Very cool. I'm hearing thoughts of of the democratic process, whoever is appropriate to the context of whatever the game or the team or the task or the project is gets to step up. Everybody being given a chance. I'm going to toss this over to Jenny Moreau. And Jenny and I both go back to roots in, in I think, stand-up comedy and improv. And uh, Jenny and I both know that in the improv world, you speak when the room or the play or the project needs you, not when you want to, when the situation needs needs you, you step up and say something. Jenny, any thoughts on what Tom just shared about this new model where everybody should be given a chance at leadership? What do you think? I think it's great, and I think it it, it lends itself to playing to people's natural strengths instead of what the perceived role of the leader and the way of leading was. You know, um, in the world of improv, you may know this, Bonnie, and I'm sure it's become a a catchphrase and, and a buzzword in the corporate culture as well, yes and Right? So what that means is accepting, accepting, not always agreeing, but accepting the offerings that others have. 
and building upon it. I think that's a really fascinating model to look at. It certainly um, allows for collaboration. It allows for all kinds of, of, of co-creation, if you will. And if people then take accountability for their ideas while welcoming the ideas of others, it's pretty amazing to see what happens. I, I look at my own sons, who are 18 and 21, and yes, you will laugh. One of them is a circus performer. And I mm. he studies at, at uh, you know, at one of, there are two big schools in Canada, one in Montreal, one in Quebec, that train for these big, the circus arts. And I went there this spring and saw in action how these people are working together, how these young people are working together. And truly, it doesn't feel competitive. Each person is is truly Mm. building upon the other person's, and they're taking turns, and they have to spot each other. Mm -hmm. And some of them are are flying and taking huge risks. And it's really interesting. I I really hadn't put it together until I heard you talking about that, Tom. I think it's a generational thing as well. Do my part. Step back, let someone else do their part. How else can I support? Yes, and I accept what's being offered. Beautiful to watch. Oh, I love that context. I love that uh, interpretation. Thank you, Jenny. Carrie, will your thoughts? You know, I'm, I've um, really been taken with uh, Carol Dweck's work on mindset and that we have uh, really a choice about how we approach what our abilities are. One is a fixed mindset. I was born a leader or I was not born a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the second is my potential is unknowable because through years of toil, work, training, who knows what I can become. And so I think that the, the, the seeds for leadership are in everyone. Um, and it's a matter of do I choose to, to groom that, to grow it, to, will I be the most extraordinary leader in the world? Perhaps not. But can mm. I be a leader in the situation in which I'm in? Yes, if that's what I want and if that's what I, if that's what I will myself to, to learn, to grow, and to become. Um, and I, I think that when you see young children at play, we get a chance to see that they, they do have those, those seeds that are at work to be able mm. to lead with one another. Thank you. And I'd hate to see those go away, you know, as we grow yeah, up. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think we would. We'd hate to see them squelch. You know, they, they say that uh, children don't get to be children anymore. We force them mm. into so many adult roles and we take away the aspects of play, but maybe we can put that back. Well, gamification is helping, but put that back in the workplace. Tom, I'd love to hear your comments on what Jenny shared and Carrie before we move on. Yeah, quick quick anecdote that occurred to me as I was listening to to, to Carrie uh, and to Jenny. I teach graduate level courses, and most recently I've been teaching at Boston University. And but for the last twenty years, I've been starting my course with the same very simple monologue. I will look at the class and I will say to them, "I am going to treat you as though you were leaders today, because that is mm. who you will be." Uh, mm. And it takes them by surprise. I've had a lot of them come up to me afterwards and say, "You know, no one's ever said that." to me. Mm-hmm. I want to be a leader. I want to aspire to that, but no one has ever treated me as though I was a leader. And I think if as a leader in your organization, in your classroom, whatever the setting might be, 
if you address people in a way that acknowledges their potential to lead, not everyone will choose that path, and that's fine. That This is not a, a mandatory requirement. But if you address people in a way that gives them license to lead and treats them with that respect, acknowledges that they have that potential, it is amazing how many will take up that mantle. And that's a very gratifying experience as an educator, as a, as a leader, whatever situation you might happen to be in when you're able to give people that, that license, that opportunity. Tom, very very interesting point, and I, I applaud you for saying that not everybody has to take up that mantle. You give them the opportunity. Not everybody does want to be a leader. Some people want to be the follower. And on that point, I think there's a very nice segue in there. I'm going to move over to some discussion statements from Jenny Moreau on our panel today. And, and Jenny, you talk about uh, Marianne Williamson, and you say mm. she recently responded to the question of leadership on a webcast by saying she prefers the image of follower. But let me add something else that I'd like you to talk about, Jenny. True leaders mm-hmm. throughout history were following a call or a vision, something they were aligned with from their very core, and people followed them, their vision, because passion, vision, causes are contagious. Now, we haven't, I don't think we've yet talked about leadership in this context of strength and vision and purpose and forward thinking. We're talking about situational, we're talking about generational, we're talking about what does this project need and who in the room could be the leader at that moment in that context. So what about leadership the way we used to think about it, the person with the vision at the helm, leading with power and strength, and everybody lines up to follow them. Is that gone? Is that a bad thing for corporate leadership today, Jenny? What do you observe? Well, I don't know that it's gone or a bad thing, but I also wonder if it's a bit of revisionist history. You know, I wonder, we can look, right? Uh, We can look at Abraham Lincoln, and, and, and we can look at Martin Luther King, and we can look at Moses, for goodness sake, right? During their time, people were following them, and certainly saw them as leaders, but I wonder if as time passes, they become even more glorified. I wonder if in their time it was, I'm doing this because I have to. I really have no choice. This is, this is a calling that I have, a vision that I have. And people line up behind that. I don't think the great leaders set out to say, follow me, pay attention to me, but more, I must, and I have to follow this. Do I think that's dead now? No. I don't think that's dead. I think people are still moving in that spirit. Sometimes it takes a while for us to recognize it. I don't and think we see it. I don't think it. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say we see it a lot in entrepreneurs. We see it in, oh, in yeah. startups. We we need that. Isn't that the place in business where we need that passion, that vision? Why would you join a new startup that doesn't have anything on the books yet on faith if you didn't have that passionate, visionary leader? Go ahead, Jenny. I interrupted you, and I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no. Absolutely. And, and, and those are the disruptors, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the disruptors of today may be called the visionaries of tomorrow. And maybe it's the same thing. So I, I think that energy still exists. I think it's interesting how we as human beings characterize it depending on when we witness it and the stories we tell about it. Thank you. Carrie Williard, a lot of interesting concepts. What's your take? Well, you know, I, I um, if, if I could kind of go back to something here that um, that that I found kind of interesting. It, I wish I had given this as my my quote earlier. Um, I, I don't know if you remember reading Studs Terkel, um, the, the author and Pulitzer Prize winner who wrote about work. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I think a lot of this, you know, if we can find in people 
you know, what connects them to work? I think that's part of this role of leadership is how do we connect people to work? But here's what he said. Work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as for cash, for astonishment rather than torpor. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying. And Mm. I think we all want a way to connect at work um, and it's the it's the gift of leaders to help bring this alive. We we can't rely on leaders to do it because we can be leaders in place and do it. But I I I, I feel you know a, a word that um, I think it was Tom used earlier that you know talking about inspiration and inspiring. And I think I I think that's part of what what you want. Even in an audience, you know, when you when when you when you're talking about what it's like to work in stand-up comedy or whatever, you're mm-hmm. you're trying to inspire an audience. I feel like that's a big word that we need to connect to whenever we're talking about leadership. It is. And that was the buzzword I used at the top of the show introduction today, mm-hmm. Carrie. The buzz mm-hmm. is the power yeah. to inspire. By the way, those of you scratching your head, Studs Turkel or Turkel, T-E-R-K-E-L, uh, lived from 1912 to 2008. He didn't pass that long ago. An American author, historian, actor. There, Jenny. Mm-hmm. And broadcaster. He got the Pulitzer Prize for general nonfiction back in 1985 for The Good War. And he's best remembered for his oral histories of common Americans and for hosting a long-running radio show in Chicago. There you go. There's a little, and the last name is T-E-R-K-E-L if anybody wants to learn more about him. Thank you for that interesting reference, Carrie. Tom, thoughts on, on what the other panelists have shared on this topic? Yeah, wow, this is, this is getting, it's interesting, because it's, it's striking some very personal resonant chords in, inside of me. One of the things that I've always been a strong believer in is that when you, when you lead people, your mission is to help them find their purpose. It is not to give them a purpose, necessarily, but to help them find their purpose. Now, there's a conflict there, and this is what we, we tend to be revisionist uh, sometimes when we think about how this plays out, because in the moment, the leader's vision may not be the popular vision, whether this is Lincoln or, mm-hmm. or Martin Luther King or whether it's Steve Jobs. These are not popular people in the moment. They become popular afterwards because the difference between the disruptor and the visionary is just a matter of time, right? It might be decades, it might yes. be more, but that's all it is at the, at the end of the day. So what I've seen, and I've seen this in myself and I've seen it in those leaders that I try to emulate, is that they have this tremendous ability to be impervious to rejection. That's a good thing ah. and it's a bad thing. Because when you're mm-hmm. impervious to rejection, you follow your vision, come hell or high water. And it's not always the best vision, <laughs> because not every leader is always perfect in their, in their vision. But when we look back, we find those leaders who had incredible vision. They were dedicated to it in the moment they were surrounded by naysayers, and yet they followed it. And here's the magic. We want to follow people who are confident and believe totally in their vision. There is something about that that draws us to it. Sometimes we're drawn to the cult aspect of that, which is the bad side of it. Most times, I think we're drawn to the more positive aspect of that, which is a vision with purpose uh, that has a defined clarity to it, a defined purpose that can be shared and articulated. Those are the folks that we want to follow. And as a leader, I want to follow that kind of a leader. And we all take turns at following someone's vision at some point in our life, right? But I think it's that aspect of being impervious to rejection, which is sort of the essence and and, and the the essential quandary of leadership. Because when you're impervious to rejection, you follow that vision um, to uh, sometimes well beyond uh, the point when you you should have. Uh, Sometimes it works. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't. Therein lies the risk of, of leadership, not all of us want to take that risk, but those who do, uh, do it because we feel there is a tremendous reward for us and for those who choose to follow us in doing so. 
And, and Tom, the way we used to call people who were impervious to rejection was used to say they have a thick skin. Remember those days? She yeah. doesn't have a, she's too thin skin. And, and Jenny and Carrie, don't they say that a lot about, about a lot of women in leadership? They, she has a thin skin. He criticized her and she went and cried. Don't we, I hope those days are gone, but that's the way we refer to it. Jenny or Carrie, any comments on that before we move on? And on what Tom said? Oh, well, you know, I, 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 it's funny because I, one of the things that um, that we quoted even in the book, if you're going to accept, if you're going to grow as a human being, you have to get feedback. And, and, and now in our digital world, that feedback can be an onslaught from all kinds of places, mm-hmm. not just your live feedback, right? Your Twitter and your LinkedIn and your Facebook, and, you know, it can come mm-hmm. from anywhere. And so um, what uh, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said was, you just have to grow skin like a rhinoceros. Um, there you go. And, yeah. So, uh, so you, because you have to embrace the viewpoint. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you don't have to embrace it as being truth, but you, you have to say somehow to someone, I come across this way, so do I, want to, do I choose to do something about that or not? Thank you. I want to move on to some of Carrie's notes here. We have a very broad conversation today, a lot of good information, and I know that our listeners are uh, are going to be very interested, not only interested, but find a lot of practical information to take away, take back to your companies, and your own thoughts about leadership and following. Now, Carrie Williard, you say Oxford Research, I mentioned that in the beginning, said executives valued loyalty. Let's talk about what a leader needs. We've been talking about what a leader does, what they give, but what does a leader need? And here the word loyalty pops up. And you say, after all, the average tenure at Apple and Google is just a little over a year, according to Payscale. Leaders should focus on engagement, not loyalty. So is engagement the goal? Is loyalty the goal? Carrie, are we getting away from the idea of what we used to call blind loyalty? I will follow you. So talk to me. Loyalty, engagement, what's the difference and what should a leader really be looking for? Yeah, you know, um, Reed Hoffman, has a, the, the founder of LinkedIn, has a, uh, a book out where he, he calls this that really we're moving into an era where we need to, 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 to not think about this. You come to a company and it's a lifetime of commitment, or at least you pretend like it's going to be a lifetime of commitment, but instead, we're really moving into more of a, you know, I'm not sure I love the analogy, but kind of like a tour of duty. So every few years, you re-up that I am committed. Um, and, but yet, our, you know, in our study, when we asked, we asked 2,700 executives around the world, what do they value in employees? And the number one thing was education and a high level of uh, training. And the second thing was loyalty and commitment. And I just think that's, um, an era that's over, that, that what we should value. I don't, I'm not sure that we should be valuing loyalty and commitment. We should be valuing that you're engaged in what you're doing now and that we as a company owe and leaders owe keeping you engaged, giving you things that make you want to stay and be here. Um, out of the Fortune 500, there's only 70 companies that have an average tenure that's more than five years. So I, I think it's just the, there's kind of an illusion that there's long-term tenure in companies, and there's not, including Apple and Google, some of the most admired companies on the planet. 
Very interesting. Maybe people think they're just cutting their teeth on their job skills and moving on to something else. I don't know. Tom, what do you observe? Very interesting comments from Carrie. Thoughts? Yeah, those were interesting comments from, from, from Carrie, and I, and I think we're all kind of struggling to make sense of what that of what that means. Maybe I'm just suggesting this because I don't think any of us really know yet. But maybe what that means is that the the, the perspective on on employment is just is very different for this generation and for those that the last few generations were were seeing a sense of community built not just around your employer, which was your primary sense of professional community, or an association might have been your secondary most obvious source of community, but from online community. So you can continue a career, you can maintain a relatively straight trajectory on on path with a community that kind of goes with you as you move in and out of company to company. So your community is not the company. Your employer is not the company per se. Your employer is in many ways your new community. It's a fascinating way to look at how these kids, I think, think about what it means to build a career. They don't build it around an employer. They build it around a a community. And that's that's a you know fascinating way to think how that might play out. I don't know, but it's a fascinating way to look at this new sense of, of organization. Uh, the other thing I would add is that there's one tool that I have seen above all else ultimately help leadership better understand the degree to which they are inspiring loyalty or in general inspiring people Mm -hmm. to follow their vision, and that is a 360 evaluation. Uh, Leaders who are not doing 360 evaluations, I think, are creating enormous blind spots uh, for themselves, and I have yet to see a leader who does not benefit enormously from a 360 eval. 360 eval is just having people who work with you and for you tell you what they think of you in an anonymized way. Um, and what you get back is a reflection in the mirror that is true. Uh, and true is not always pretty. True sometimes can, ah. can be pretty, uh, pretty gut-wrenching. But, true is but, not always pretty. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I like not. that. Not. I, know, loved, I love that. We see what we want to see when we look in the mirror, right? Metaphorically and, 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 and literally. And that's, that's part of the 360 is show me my true self. And now you can decide, you know, am I going to accept that feedback and do something with it? Or am I going to ignore it? And you ignore it at your peril, frankly. Interesting. Jenny, join us. Thoughts? Well, I have a lot of thoughts, all kinds of great things. I think, first of all, the difference between loyalty and engagement is a pretty fascinating thing to consider. And it takes me back to Tom's first quote about a boss is someone you must follow, a leader is someone you choose to follow. So I wonder for people who feel, oh, I've got to go to this job because I have to, you know, I must follow this because I must, I must look like I'm loyal so they don't fire me so I can pay my bills, et cetera, as opposed to, well, I choose to be here because there's really great things, and I'm learning, and I care about the people, and I want to be here for a couple of years because I'm building a career of my choosing, and there's flexibility there. So I think if we flip the idea of loyalty, it feels like a flip to me, and turn it into engagement, which is back to relationship and a two-way street Mm -hmm. and a vibrant, organic thing, that's a step in the right direction. It goes from being the tyrant impervious to rejection to the visionary impervious to rejection because they have no choice. They're following something that they just can't ignore. Also, in terms of uh, looking in the mirror and the truth is not pretty, that goes back to, back to yes and. Can I accept the feedback? However, or, as Marshall Goldsmith would call it, feed forward, which I think is even better, you know, Yes, take a look at what has and hasn't worked, but moving forward, what would we like to do? What are the positive outcomes? What are the ways that we can collaborate? And using this with employees is a great way to engage folks, is a great way to, in fact, you know, as you, and 
And I will correct something that I just said. The more you engage them, the more loyal they are likely to become. But the purpose is to engage, and loyalty is a result. So I think if we go, again, to do something with and for people, we'll get a result without just going for the result. Does that make sense? Yes. Panelists, Tom, Carrie, oh, that, that comments? Makes, that makes perfect. You know what? That makes so much sense because not, not only does it apply to leadership, but it applies to the entirety of the way that we're managing social interactions. You are no longer loyal to a brand. Brand loyalty is evaporating uh, very, very quickly if it hasn't already. What you have are brands that are loyal to you, that understand mm. you, that can personalize your experience. So customer experience is no different than employee experience. You want to create an experience that is engaging, that causes people to want to be there because you are loyal to them. You get them, you understand them, you give them a sense of purpose that aligns with their meaning in their lives, and we can apply the same principles we apply to customer experience and engagement to employee engagement. It's no longer being loyal to the brand, it's the brand being loyal to you. So absolutely, that is so pervasive in our society today. Great point. Know your audience. Carrie, I want to bring in one more thing. We have nine minutes, eight minutes left to the end of the show, and I want to introduce one more topic or just one more thought. I think we just touched on it. Carrie, I'm looking at your notes, and you say engagement is not a one-way street. Would you say to your spouse that the engagement in the marriage is completely up to them? Well, I certainly hope not. At least that's not what the therapists all say. So employees can contribute to the engagement culture in a company, and don't just leave it up to the manager. So, Carrie, I'll ask you briefly to answer, and then Tom and then Jenny, whose job is it anyway to foster that culture of engagement? Is it 50-50? Is it 70% managers, leaders, 30% employees and teams? What, what do you see, Carrie? I think it's a very key question. Yes, well, you know, I, I think it's amazing, at least in my organizational experience, you can find employees who are completely engaged and doing fabulous work, and they have what, who everybody knows to be a horrible boss. And you can find people who have great bosses, but, you know, they've got employees, but that, that particular employee is not engaged. So I don't, I really don't think it's a 100 and zero kind of thing. Um, is it 50-50? I, I mean, a manager does have big influence in, mm-hmm. in a person's day-to-day life. You know, in that same question, I, I asked the question, why does Dilbert stay? You know, Dilbert, the cartoon character, mm-hmm. who's got the pointy-haired boss, and yet he stays. And yet he seems to be like he loves his work. And I think, I, I think for some people it's that they love their work and they connect with their work because it has meaning to them. I think for some people it's that they love their peers, uh, if we can use love in a loose word, as a loose word here. But they, they are engaged yep. by their peers. Um, so it's not all on leaders, but, boy, leaders have such a, you know, could, could, they, could, they make, could they turn it into a Powerball combination to have engaged employees plus provide the inspiration and the vision to make it go together. I don't know. What do you think? Tom? Yeah. So you know what? So I would, so I'm going to pull on you what Peter Drucker used to pull on me all the time. He would say to me, when he thought I was completely off the wall, he would say, Tom, I think you've asked the wrong question. So I think you've asked the wrong question, Bonnie. And here's why. Because when we deal with 100% with, with, and I I mean this in the nicest way, of course, um, (laughs) when we deal with 100%, it has to always add up to 100%. This is not zero sum. It's not Mm -hmm. 50-50 or 60-40 or 40-60 or 30-70. I think both parties bear equal and total responsibility for that relationship. And only if you look at it that way 
can you build a strong relationship? So if you're talking about a marriage or if you're talking about uh, uh, you know, a friendship or whatever it might happen to be, if you're not both in it at 100 plus percent, you're not going to have the best possible relationship. Those are the kinds of leadership situations that really work, where the leader acknowledges, respects, and incorporates the, uh, the sometimes it's considered an attitude on the part of the employee, in other cases, mm-hmm. uh, a feedback or feed forward, whatever you want to call it. Uh, when they both acknowledge and respect each other, and they're both in it for more than 100%, that's when you have a great relationship. So as a knowledge worker, you bear, you bear total and complete responsibility for the outcomes of your, of your work. You have to approach it with that attitude. In practice, whether you do or not, many things will impede you, not just your leader. But you still have to, you still have to accept that, that it is your responsibility to, uh, to perform. Uh, I, and I your, agree, Tom. And right. We'll leave 100% plus 100% equals 100%. Yes, I think go. we came up came up with new math. I love it. I love it. Thank you. I just didn't extend it to the next line. Uh, Jenny, I can give you just a 30-second comment on this, and then we must move into our predictions round. So, Jenny, thoughts on the new math Tom and I just came up with? Love it. All in with the understanding that there are times, certainly, when somebody gets more of a percentage of say in how things go, right? And that has to happen. But yes, Thank you. everybody all in all the time. Good. And guess what? 100%, 100%, 100% equals three great sets of predictions coming up. I can promise you that. Tom Kalopoulos, you're up first. I love the year 2020. You know that, but you can look in that crystal ball and tell me any future time, how will this conversation be different about what leadership means, what leaders give, bring, take, expect, and their teams, and is leadership for everybody going forward? So give me the future time you're looking into and a 60-second prediction. Tom, go. So let's say 2030, make it 2040, maybe the, the notion of leadership via pedigree will be dead. We will no longer give people leadership uh, opportunities because of their pedigree. It'll strictly be because of their capability, and we are creating a world where capability will always outshine pedigree. I think that's a radical shift and one that I look forward to, frankly, but pretty disruptive. Wow, leadership pedigree will be gone. You think it's going to take that long to 2030 or is it coming sooner? Because we're already at 2015. That's only 15 years away, but it seems like a lifetime. It, it does seem like a lifetime, but you know what? We've got a lot of entrenched interests that will continue to legislate and to control and to protect themselves. So I think it's going to take a little longer than we than we probably would like it to. And by the way, by 2030-2040, we will be close to 10 billion people, and those folks will all be educated. And that's the key to this, is that we will take education to the masses in a way we never have before. So leaders will come out of every nook and cranny of the globe. Thank you. That's optimistic. I like that, Jenny Moreau. I can give you one minute for predictions. How far into the future are you projecting, and what do you see? I think, well, first of all, I absolutely agree with Tom, and I love it, and I love the idea that leadership pedigree will be disappearing, certainly as we know it, and yes, it will take a while. I think the thing that is timeless and will continue to shift is the human need. I think that there are some things that as whether we call it the employee, the leader, the follower, the leader, the human need, what's important for this group, for this individual now is always going to be the question that needs to be top of mind. Know your audience, understand people, and the leaders of the future will share those responsibilities, continue to ask that question and address the needs of the people that they are leading, whether it's conscious or not. Thank you very much. And let's turn to our third panelist, Carrie Williard. How in the future, how far can you see and what do you see? And tell us what the name of your new book is, Carrie. Go ahead. Oh, it's called um, Stretch, How to Future-Proof Yourself for Tomorrow's Workplace. 
Ooh, love um, it. And, yeah, and my last book was called The 2020 Workplace. So I think I'm going to go to 2025 now. Um, okay. And, you know, I'd like to kind of circle back and kind of make a full loop from the beginning of the conversation. And that is really kind of building on, 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 on Tom's idea here is that I think the career track of management will go away. So many companies have, you can go up an individual track or you can go up a career track, but once you start down this management slash leadership track, you're assumed to kind of be in it forever. And I think going back to how children play and how they, mm. how they change off roles, I think that there's going to be a lot more fluidity between the role of individual contributor and the role of leader. You know, in my last job, I managed a 1,000 people. Now I manage none. But I could go back into managing, you know, many, many people again. But, uh, you know, my, my choice is are different at different times in my life, depending on what I want to do. And I think that's been so stuck in, uh, in, in kind of organizational practice. I think that's going to go away. Very interesting. Great predictions. And I have a prediction, and we're just about out of time here, that next Wednesday I'll be back on Coffee Break with Game Changers with part three of this micro-miniseries, Employee Engagement, and the topic will be changing corporate culture relating to leadership. And I know that Tom Kalopoulos from the Delphi Group is coming back, and he'll be joined by Jeff Scott, the CEO of ASUG, and Pam Seplo at SAP, who hasn't been on the radio with me for at least three years. Can't wait to talk to her. So I want to thank my three extraordinary panelists. We covered a lot of territory and I hope our listeners glean some good practical insights or just are scratching their heads and saying, I got to go think about that. That's okay too. Thank you, Tom Kalopoulos. Thank you, Jenny Moreau. And thank you, Carrie Williard. Good conversation. And thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow with a very interesting show on Meet the Visionary Game Changers. We'll be talking with Rasmus Kostner, the co-captain, co-CEO, and tactician for the SAP Extreme Sailing Team. Yes, and we're talking about sports and technology. Whoosh, like the wind. What can I tell you? We'll be back tomorrow. That's all for today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Be a leader, too. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.